Thank you for joining us. This is episode seven of the Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are myself, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom, Kevin Buckner, and Chris Weber. It looks like Andy's chair is going to be the one that gets the <laughs> special introduction. Oh, sorry about that. Don't count my cat out yet. She just she just woke up and went roaming around somewhere. <laughs> well, and now that we're using her to blimp out your uh, language there, Chris. Oh, oh that's you. awesome. <laughs> if you use this cat's noise as a bleep sound for swearing. <laughs> Officially next or er, this week, the one that comes out the week before the episode we're yeah. recording is going to officially have uh, Chris's cat. <laughs> Bleeping us out. <laughs> I love it. Great job. Great job. Cool. Nice. Anyway, yeah, she went on a real binger last night, and so I recorded a little bit, a little part of it to send to you. <laughs> Which I have now it. saved and is now a uh, part of my resources in case I need more. <laughs> so, there she is. <laughs> I've, I've thought maybe I should get uh, recordings of my cats just so we can have a little bit extra variety if you feel like it <laughs> i am not cool. opposed but uh kevin you're you've already had the task of getting our uh theme music together i don't want to overload you that's true <laughs> <laughs> it's almost uh, ready <laughs> which we appreciate um we discussed it before starting the recording and we're going to start adding a small segment called curiosities at the beginning of the podcast here and i'm going to start it off with something that i learned this week which is that uh the early days of sla printing was performed with developed 35 millimeter film and the uh photoreactive resin what they would do is they would manually have to move the build plate and shift the uh, film so that it, the shape would come out how it was supposed to for the the for the SLA printer. That's neat. I wonder what kind of resolutions they were able to pull off during that time if they really did the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of of layers for the type of SLA printing we do now or if they did make it a little bit more bulky and make the layers thicker because it was such a, you know, an arduous process. I right? imagine the process that comes to mind for me for that would be like if you made it out of ceramic or wax or something, you or made the model, then you have a camera at the top that takes a picture, and then you have a machine that takes off whatever the layer depth is, and then you can take the next picture and you can get, I guess, whatever resolution you feel like you need from that. Um, it almost feels like it would be preventatively expensive on time. And um, they made a point in the podcast I was listening to where they brought it up that if there was a change to the model, they would have to redo the whole stack. Wow. And that would be a problem all on its own. Um, and then, you know, digital technology advanced to the point where they could use a... a an LCD screen <laughs> to block out the voids. And they're like, oh man, we can do all of this in a matter of seconds 
instead of days to get the the image stack that would change things up quite a bit wow and the digital everything just changed 3d printing immensely and you were saying that this 35 millimeter work was back in the 80s right they were doing stuff like that um well 3d printing i think is either late 70s or early 80s. I don't know when they started with the SLA process. I can look That's it up. No big deal. That's still pretty neat, though. Yeah. Analog days of 3D printing for any of it. <laughs> so. Uh, so have you been working on any projects this week? Oh, I got a lot this week. <laughs> um, I finally purchased a spool of PETG, and I was happy with myself because it only took three days to get the everything dialed in. Nice. So I can start printing with it instead of the three months that it took me with PLA. <laughs> Good. Um, I also finished my baseball hat and beer cup holder. And that means that I can start working on the end tables for my wife that she wanted me to build. Cool. Um, I also, for the last two weeks, have been using the capture hook garter clips on our sheets. And they've been working wonderfully at keeping the sheets tight on the, the mattress. And I just wanted to give everybody an update for that. I uh, think it's rare that you design it right the first time, right? Yeah, it, well, and that's the problem, right? I get overconfident with that. And then I spend two weeks fixing, figuring out stuff for a different project. So. I think we've also come to that once in a while. Yeah, but I'm prone to being um, arrogant anyway, <laughs> just as a, a feature of my being a software engineer. So That's one of the things that makes you funny. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my wife believed it was something that made me funny. <laughs> I love those uh, <laughs> clips that you made. I know um, I'm considering swapping out the ones that I made because, I, like I said, I just use like suspender clips for uh, my fitted mm -hmm. sheets to hold it down. And, and the way you made yours with the big garter clips, that's that would cause so much less damage to the sheets. I'm looking forward to stealing your design on that one. And, you know, I keep thinking about ways I can update them, like having a rounded nub on it, because the way I designed it is it's sharp. And I can see how that could potentially damage the sheet, but because they're working just fine how they are, I don't feel the need to revisit that. Yeah. Um. Obviously, before I send them to you, I'll include both, and maybe you can test <laughs> the difference between the two. All righty. Um, I've had a few ideas for how to modify it for a strap instead of putting rope on it, uh, like I've done with mine, because I think in terms of rope, not straps. So no, no problem at all. Maybe I'll make those modifications and then send you STLs and let you make your own decisions. That sounds like a good thing, my friend. Thank you. Yes, sir. And that's all the projects I've had. Andy, have you done anything this week? Uh, so I have, and I, I've got a little bit of an update. Um, do you guys remember me talking about the uh, child gate stop that only allows it to open in one direction and not the other that uh, I wound up having to replace? Well, if I give it Imagine Dragons, will it play Imagine Dragons? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so th this particular gate piece, I, I printed it out of a PETG. The original one that was there that broke was made out of a molded ABS plastic and it was very thin. And so on this PETG version I made, I printed it solid right where 
it was most likely to break when it makes contact with this door. And I thought that would be enough because it was so much more overkill than, uh, than the ABS version. And um, my son got in a fight with the wife and they were yelling and, and he went and he slammed the door hard enough and he broke that piece. Now, the neat thing about this is it broke right where I suspected it would have. But when you look at it, there ain't no layer lines at all in the brake. The brake looks like a complete solid piece of plastic. It is neat the way that it, it broke loose. You would not know from the inside of the printed part that it was 3D printed at some point, you know? It was it was a very neat thing. I'm just going to turn around and print the thing in TPU, and that way I don't have to worry about it ever breaking again. But uh, but this this break with PETG was really impressive that it was that that smooth of of a break um, for that, uh, and with you know completely no visible signs of, of layer lines. Um, the other nice. yeah, it was it was really neat. I, I sent you guys a, a picture of it. I know our listeners can't really see it, yeah. but it was a. Uh, it, it looks just like a solid piece of plastic and no layer lines at all on the inside. It was kind of impressive. Nice. Well, do you want to use that for some of the album art there, Frank? Um, he, he did send me some of the failed print stuff, which is going to be probably this next episode's album art. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Nice. Uh, Actually, other things. I, oh, sorry. Sorry. I had a quick question again for you, Andy. So, um, I was going to get me some PETG to print for the, um, oh, that, that thing that broke while we were camping, my canopy. That's it. Okay. So do you think PETG would hold up to those kind of stresses better? No. Nope. that? I think you should definitely use a, a TPU for that situation. TPU for that situation? Awesome. Now, for for people who know what's going on, Chris had a, a canopy that was formed using steel tubing pipe, and it had plastic fittings that would uh, angle off to connect these pipe sections together. And, uh, you know, they do have a lot of weird... Excuse me. They do have a lot of weird flexing stresses on them, and I think you would definitely need to compensate for that PE, or, uh, PETG is still going to be too stiff of a plastic to compensate for those. I don't think that would work well at all. I think the TPU would be a much better decision um, because um, when you got it together, the the kit, the entire canopy will hold itself together even if those fittings are flexible. It will keep them at the proper angle as long as the fitting itself holds the ends of them together in the right place. So that right. way, when you're putting it up and you have a piece fall or something like that, you're not going to end up with broken pieces. I would definitely nice. recommend for that one. I wouldn't waste PETG on that particular situation. Uh, PETG is great, but you know it's only like 20 or 30% more flexible than uh, PLA, which makes it a lot more durable of a product, but um, it's still... Still pretty not, rigid. Yeah, it's still pretty rigid. So I, I think for... For your situation, that's more of an extreme on, on your canopy. Uh, you'd probably be best to go with nylon or TPU. And I know you got a uh, non-enclosed printer, so nylon's probably not oh. going to be something that will work. But uh, well, TPU I am making an enclosure. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. Uh, talking Maybe about I'll nylon, I had, to, uh, I had the nozzle for my parts cooling fan melt down on me. And... Uh, you remember a couple days ago or a couple podcasts ago, me complaining, I've got something loose on my printer. My layer lines are coming out like crap. 
mm-hmm. lack of part, complete lack of part cooling. That was my mm-hmm. issue. My nozzle had melted together. And so air wasn't coming out of it at all. And it's my design flaw. I've got it way too close to the nozzle and I, or the way too close to the head. And it's printed out a, a PETG, but since I usually am printing TPU at PETG, that means I'm still running at those, you know, 230 temperatures. So it, it did melt it down. So I sat down and, and printed uh, the new one out of nylon. I don't have a enclosed printer anyway, but my nozzle is only about 15 to 20 millimeters tall. It's not very tall. So I just tried to uh, uh, overheat my bed a little bit to, to keep it heat soaked while it printed. And it seemed to work okay. And that prints at about 260. So I'm hoping that the, the nylon will withstand the temperatures a little bit more, but we'll see how it goes. I, I think I just have to sit down and redesign it a little bit better so it can blow on the part further back away from the head and still be effective. But uh, the first time I did uh, replace that nozzle and then print out my TPU um, gate stop, uh, or yeah, yeah, TPU gate stop that I was talking about, uh, my layer lines came out looking great with the the airflow so my problem for the unusual size layer lines was was part cooling and i didn't see that one coming but that seemed to fix the problem so i'm going to call it fixed for now maybe what you need is a manifold adjustable setup so that you got the fan blowing into a bunch of different things so you can set it however you want to point at it to blow wherever your part is and I, I'm I I was I did consider getting some sheet metal and bending out the very end of the nozzle out of out of just a piece of sheet metal that I could then clip onto the plastic component so that way the very ending tip of the nozzle was sheet metal that way I can get it right up where I want it without having to worry about the heat but all that takes a little bit of time and I'll, I'll probably play with it a little bit later I could see myself just pulling the nozzle back so it wasn't so close to the hot end and then see how it, it affects the print. And that's probably what I'll wind up going with. But uh, well, other than that, it was still a, you know, a repair that needed to be done. So by the way, well, printing nylon sucks without an enclosure. It's so hard guys. You know what? I'll, I'll share the uh, enclosure making process I'm, I'm doing with you so you can f- figure it out along with me. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I got some components that I made for it, a heating and cooling apparatus that I was planning on attaching with a 3D printed housing into a a plexiglass enclosure around my printer. But our printers are bed slingers and those the footprint you need to enclose is huge for those. So it does make it a little bit harder. I was going to use wood for everything except the door and then use plexiglass for just the door. So yeah, that yeah, same, same idea, you know, 3D printed housing for the for the fans and for the you know output fan and the uh, heater input fans and things too. So, and then too, I see a lot of people just rely on the heat of the system itself, and that they only control the cooling. You know, a, a vent fan that they could turn on and off to uh, you know bring in cooler air to to maintain a temperature. Not many. I haven't really seen many that actually heat up the enclosure itself. They usually just rely on the the heat from the bed and stuff to accomplish that. So it may even be simpler than you know what what I was thinking of originally by by having an attached ceramic heater on the inside that you could turn on to 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 make things warmer. Yeah, that's kind of funny because you know I was I've got this little 
desk fan heater. So it's it's not a very big thing, but I was going to take the heating elements out of that and use that, you know, to heat it. But if we don't even have to do that. Yeah, cool. it might be worth just trying if you got put the enclosure together and see how much it does warm up just under normal use. You, we might be able to get away with just having a, a cold air intake to control the heat instead of having to actually heat it up. But I guess, too, it matters how fast it heats up. If you you know, need to uh, heat soak apart and it's going to take you a half hour, 45 minutes for it to get up to temperature, that's not going to be very effective when you can start when you yeah. can get pretty high up on your Z away from the heated bed on that part that you need to have heat soaked. So. I don't know personally how far I'm going to go with any kind of enclosure. Nylon's the only thing I would like to be able to print that requires an enclosure. I don't want to print ABS because PETG is basically the same type of quality or the same type of uh, characteristic characteristics. Is that the right characteristics, word? Yeah. Characteristics compared to ABS that I'm looking for. That doesn't involve the shrinking and all the negative stuff ABS does. So I. I don't think I really need an enclosed an enclosed printer, yeah. but mm. well, I'm going to go ahead and go forward with it because I I do have things I know I'm going to need to print out of nylon nylon. So and you've got that spool of ABS that you got from Andy a little while ago too. Yep, I've got more ABS too to give to you. Yeah, I might take you up on that if I. Yeah, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> I'm building the enclosure anyway. Yeah, I think I got four or five rolls of it left that are just not opened at all. They're still up there. Um, unless I've given some of it away. Because I know I gave you a roll, but I think you're the only person I've given rolls to. So, yeah, if you come up with an enclosed printer and one ABS, I'll give it to you. Plus, ABS is cheap right now because nobody really prints with it, so it's easy to get a hold of. So kind of like diesel was when diesel was cheaper than gas and people had diesel cars and then diesel went higher than gas and people started using waste oil instead yeah no kidding so have you been working on any projects there chrissy oh no this week i've spent most of the week getting better you know from last week i was pretty drugged up and not doing so good this head cold turned into a chest cold and the chest cold was a beast to get over but that sounds rough dude yeah yeah Oh, well, the worst part was I ran out of sick time for work, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Just to keep it interesting. Working. Yep. No, I mean, there are some other projects I was doing, like, the week that I missed you guys. Um, I had done, printed up that little uh, pumpkin mm-hmm. with the engine light in it. And um, I printed up the Fra- a Franken switch. You know, it's a it's a light switch that is a is a is a is a blade switch with some cracks and stuff in it to make it look like it's you know from one of those uh, mad scientist labs and the old timey blade the switches is... that have all the big movement yep. and yep the wife loves it so much she's actually letting me keep it up all year round. That's neat. Every Halloween, I'm like, hey, can we just keep Halloween stuff up all year? No. <laughs> She hasn't been sold on the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas idea for the holidays. Oh, she loves the Nightmare Before Christmas, but um, yeah, but she doesn't want to design around it. Is what I'm asking. <laughs> nope, she won't decorate her, uh, around it. No, not yet. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. 
about you, Kev? Have you worked on anything this week? Um, just a little bit. Uh, so as Halloween was approaching, my little nephew, um, had asked if he could borrow my, my 3d printer. Cause I, his, his mom had taken him to some event where a guy was selling stuff that he had 3d printed. And one of the things was, uh, a little articulated bat. <clears throat> and so he, he wanted to know if I could print something like that for him. And I, I decided I'd give that a try. Um, I found a file and it's looking at it. I can tell that it's meant for an FDM printer, but I thought I'd give it a, a go on my SLA anyway. Um, but the, the issue I ran into is I don't think I had enough supports on it because it didn't work. I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board and, and I may not have had enough exposure time because I kind of spaced editing the exposure time at all when I sliced it. So it didn't work and I'll, I'll get it going again uh, after we're done here okay um let us know how it goes next week then yeah because i'm in, i'm intrigued because it's uh it's supposed to be done all as a single print uh but it's still got those articulations in it so it's got the the post hinges going through the the loops and it's like it's permanent so it's like if it the the hinge the post of the hinge is supposed to be kind of floating in the loop section and uh that's the part that's got me a little concerned okay uh yeah print in place uh prints are fun but they're definitely a challenge mm -hmm. um i've done some lizards and i've got a dragon that my brother-in-law printed off for me and the octopuses i talked about last week are all print in place articulated and i still haven't quite gotten the octopuses right so they're a fun challenge well you know Maybe you should start with some of the flexi stuff. Like uh, I've done a flexi unicorn and a flexi dragon and a flexi butterfly. And those all turned out just dandy. Kind of like a middle step? Oh, yeah. Pop them up on thingy Thingiverse. So it's basically, you know, a flat model, but it's got uh, hinges that let only give you about 15 degrees of movement. and but But they're so short across the whole piece that, you have, um, they're every like, I'd say three eighths to half an inch through the model. So the whole thing flexes, you know, like, but it's not, not quite the detail that you get with most of your print and place stuff. Right. Exactly. Okay. So if you, if you start having issues with, with that, you can start, you know, pinpointing what direction you've got an issue. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah, the flexies are quite a bit a lot easier to print than the octopus models that that I've seen around. They're all very neat, but uh, but yeah, just like you say, Frank, it takes a lot of dialing in to get them to work right. When they do, though, it's pretty neat to be able to print those as one solid piece, essentially, you know, and uh, have it come out separate. I agree. Yeah, these look fun. I'll have to play with them anyway. My uh, my nephews are gonna love them. Yep, my daughter does. <laughs> uh, was there anything else, Kev? Nope. Cool. It actually leads in real quick, um, real easy to our subject this week, which is uh, build plate adhesion. 
Um, yeah, that, I, I did notice. Speaking of that, that when I tried to print this bat thing, that uh, it the it was not sticking to the build plate at one end either, and that could also be a source of failure overall. So because it's a little, well, more than just a little different from FDM, um, what do you look for with build plate adhesion on the SLA? Uh, it's got a, the, the build plate needs to be at least partially scored because if it's perfectly smooth, it's got less surface area for the resin to cling to when it adheres to it. It's kind of like if you try to super glue two perfectly flat things together, it's not going to work very well. But if they're both slightly scored, it's, it gives the glue something to hang to, on to. To dig into. Okay. Yeah. So you can always use like a fine grit sandpaper to get yourself back, back to what you need. Or a steel brush or something like that, yeah. So do you have to score your build plate every time you use it then or periodically or Uh, just the ones? I've actually never had to score it. It came scored and uh, I haven't had to do anything with it since then. Okay. Um, But I have, there are like, you can get magnetic flexible build plate things to add on to it. Um, And those I've read come perfectly smooth and so the the adhesion becomes an issue at that point uh the benefit to those is that you just peel it off and then give it a little bend and and your uh, model should come right off of the build plate at that point okay and so you don't have to use a plastic scraper to get it off um and then the other things that i do is i i always make sure or i try anyway to make sure that the build plate is completely clean my son is the one who did it who used it last and uh he i told him to clean it and and i think i think he thought he cleaned it but where it was peeling either he didn't or i didn't get the exposure quite right because that's the other thing is you have to have your base layers need to have a good enough exposure time to really let it clean okay and at least in my experience, you guys are welcome to speak up. But with FDM, you want it to stick, but you don't necessarily want it to cling <laughs> just because it becomes <laughs> preventatively difficult to uh, get the thing off. Well, it sounds like the difference uh, I had in my printer between tape and then when I adjusted my machine and had the flat print bed. Because when I use tape, it actually clung. It was really good. It was hard to get the model off the tape. Okay. Um, and when uh, I went to my went and adjusted, and I'm printing right off my print bed, it's relatively easy to get it off of the, straight off the print bed. So it's probably a lot like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, print bed adhesion. I am the uh, the odd man out on this one. I don't use any medium for my print bed adhesion. Um, You're not the odd man out. Well, you guys use a medium, don't you? No, I you don't. don't use the medium? I know Andy uses I, the I hairspray. I don't use a medium either. It's, I just Andy's, use physics. Andy's the odd man out. Gotcha. Yeah, suppose so. I just like to think I'm the only one who knows how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I really swear by the hairspray. And it's it's only hairspray that includes the vinyl uh, on the inside of the hairspray. There, That's really the important ingredient when it comes to the hairspray. That's, uh, that's what allows it to really uh, uh, grab onto the plastic, have the plastic melt into the hairspray and have it attached to the bed when it's hot and have it just pop off when it's cold. Okay. And, well, now uh, that makes sense. You've never mentioned the vinyl part before. Yeah, it's the vinyl and the hairspray. A lot of people swear by Aquanet hairspray because it contains that. Um, I personally use the Rave 4 from Walmart that contains the vinyl and uh, works just as the same as the uh, the Aquanet does, in my opinion. But, um, but yeah, hairspray is my weapon of choice. And when I get more problematic with adhesion, there's some you know printed methods you could do to... Uh, to try to help it, I myself prefer using a brim if I really need to hold the corners down. Uh, I've heard a lot of people use helper discs, which is like an extra model you include into your print that is kind of acts like a brim, but you can, you know, you, you don't just brim the entire surface. You can choose a corner or two to be able to put one of the helper discs into the model and then you cut them off when they're done. You know, they're usually only like half a millimeter tall to maybe a millimeter tall. You could just cut them off uh, of the model, but that kind of helps it hold down to the bed when you're having some, some problems. I had to do uh, the brim when it came to printing nylon on my printer uh, with this nozzle on this last time, because I, I, even with my hairspray, I couldn't get nylon to stay down. It was curling too bad, hmm. uh, wow. but, uh, but that's, you know, back to the whole doing it right and i wasn't doing it right i couldn't heat soak the part like you're like you're supposed to so you mentioned the helper disc and i just think why don't you just use a raft because a a raft is something you print on top of a helper disc is like a controlled brim okay it's oh so maybe somewhere between a raft and a brim no no it's more like less than a brim um it's like a brim in only the areas you need it instead of all the way around the model Okay. But the oh, bottom okay. of the model is still touching the build plate. So gotcha. It's not like a raft. No, so. That's helper disc. It wastes a lot less pra- plastic than using a brim, but a brim doesn't use that much plastic either. Or a raft, for that matter. Yeah. A raft uses quite a bit. Yeah. I, I will say that. I guess it depends on what you're printing, you know? Because, like, uh, when I was printing that horn for my, my wife's uh, costume, you know, I was worried that there wasn't going to be enough... Uh, surface area on the plate so i did that straight off of a brim and you know it went up the full you know uh little just a hair over eight inches and all the way to the top no problem held to the plate the whole time that's good which nice is a first for me i've never printed anything that tall (laughs) so um i i use brims for uh i printed a bunch of fishing flies too this Hmm. last summer and so because fishing flies are, are rounded, they don't have a whole lot of uh, adhesion space for to the plate. So I've used rafts for those too. But places where you can get like smaller areas um, to the build plate, but you're not sure it's going to be quite enough. You know, yeah, brims are great for that. So yeah, you say fishing flies. Are you talking uh-huh. like... It's a lure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You take, you take the lure, and then you uh, wrap wrap twine and uh, feather bits, 
you know. Right. For and, for so that it floats, it. kind of. And you know, with fly fishing, you just so quick it doesn't need to float for long. Right. So but you can also do lures and uh put a weight in the middle of your print. Okay. So I did one of those. So it was more yeah. was it more of a lure than a fly then? Uh, I did some of both. Okay. I, I'm just trying to comprehend how you would print a fly because most of the body of the fly is the hook, yeah. right? So what it is is it's like a little bit of a lure and you tie that to the hook while you're tying the fly. Okay. That makes sense. So it's still part of the fly, but it's only just a little bit. So it's like one third of the fly because you've got the you've got the hook, the body, and then the little hairy bits. Okay. That you, yeah. And you add a weight because you I, don't want it to float that much, right? Because I, I can uh, see... That was the, the lures. The lures had the weight. Okay. The fly did not. I, yeah. I, I can see um, printing like bobs on your printer, but it, yeah, just I'm going to have to do some research on this. I never considered printing the actual fly or the lure. Oh, yeah. So that rainbow stuff I have is kind of shiny on the shinier, shinier side. So I actually didn't print these for me. I printed them for my father-in-law. He is an avid fisherman. And so I printed them for him. And I'm going to let him be the guinea pig and see how well they work before I add any to my own uh, fishing box. That sounds like a good plan to me. <laughs> I, I'm such a crappy fisherman that I haven't even renewed my uh, my uh, license in like three years, four. So, so yeah. yeah um, I think that makes two of us. And Chris, I know Andy suggested it to you. Andy, do you uh, plan around squish at all with your print? Oh, yes. I am very, very keen to the correct amount of squish on a print. And I've heard more than just, like, I heard that phrase from other 3D pro podcasts. You know, I think it is a technical word in the field, the squish. <laughs> and what we're talking about is that first lines that start going down. How round are those lines? Because, you know, as they come out of the print head, they're, they're cylinder shaped. Mm -hmm. You know, how much does the head squish it down to the bed? And what I imagine with that is like when you're doing frosting on a keg through one of the things, if you're pushing... If your feed on your printer is basically faster than the printer is designed for the moving, then you're going to end up with a little extra plastic on that first line, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, our slicers compensate for that. I know Kira alone gives you the, the first line height uh, and you know flow rate that you're supposed to be able to adjust so that you can put extra plastic down on that first layer so that it, you do have it being pushed into the bed and that's especially important for textured beds i know none of us use those but a lot of them do come with a textured bed to help with adhesion mm -hmm. but um getting the right amount of yeah you know, getting the right amount of surface contact even with our plate glass beds like what what me and chris have i think you got a metallic bed don't you frank nope mine is tempered glass is it too okay well we're all working with you know super smooth surfaces here so getting it squished down so that you're getting as much surface contact as you can with that first layer. Definitely think the uh, right amount of squish helps with build plate adhesion. Hmm. So, well, my plate isn't, isn't actually smooth. 
Oh, is it? Do you got textured as well? It's textured, but it's also it is tempered glass. Like if we were to assign a grit, you know, maybe more like a a, a fingernail file, like a super high grit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. Yeah, you can run your finger across the top of it, and it does not feel smooth. Like a uh, like it's been sandblasted or something. Yeah, like it's been sandblasted or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So imagine if you had some glass that had been a little bit sandblasted. That's what my adhesion plate feels like. Okay. Okay. I could see there why squish would be quite a bit more important in your situation. You know, it's getting the plastic pushed into all the little crevices and things that, you know, yeah. allow it to anchor it down so, to uh, yeah, accomplish so, the print. Yeah. So talking about adhesion, when I first bought this model, um, I couldn't get anything to stick like nothing. And I had, I had it set to the manufacturer's setting. That was, uh, it was, it was about uh three thou three thousandths of an inch. It, it said to use a piece of paper, you know, on each corner of these. And I said, okay, I'll use the paper. And I did and nothing stuck. So I moved to a gapper and I said, okay, I'll move it to two thousands and nothing. So, um, the Reddit forums um, had had suggested that you use tape. Just put tape down on your bed. It's fine. And so I did that for the first couple of months. And uh, I was on Discord here griping about it a little bit. And Andy suggested, you know what I do for my printer? I use this little squish method here where I, you know, heat the printer up and I would, you know, watch how much squish is coming out. And I said, hmm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be using hairspray and stuff like that. And I'm really sick of using tape and cleaning up every third or fourth print. So uh, I went ahead and did that. I went and, so my printer has a setting to where it goes to each corner and then the middle. And it lets you adjust each one as it's in each place. Yeah. And so I went ahead and just did that. I let this, I, I preheated the printer and I just let the, um, set the printer to each point and just fed the, uh, fed the plastic through my head, just, just a little, just slowly kind of at the same rate and looked for the right kind of squish where when I would send, send my printer to the next point that it would stick really well to the plate. And oh, it's been beautiful. I, I have not had any adhesion problems ever since. That's great. It is. I know if I start getting adhesion problems, one of the things I'll do instead of taking the time to readjust it is the next print I'll do, I'll print with a, um, oh, what do you call it when it's not a brim, but there's a piece of, it draws an outline around it. The skirt? The skirt, yeah. I'll have it do a skirt. And, uh, you know, it prints the skirt first thing off uh, around where the model will, will be done. And so while it's printing, you can drag your finger over over the line and make fine-tune adjustments while it's going uh, until you get it just right. Because I don't want to sit and sit there and readjust it every time. But if I can get a print going and while it's printing the skirt, you got a minute to be able to check things and get it zeroed in while it's printing. Um, that's that's the way I like to do it. I, I know it's not the proper way at all, but it's the, pro it's the way that seems to be able to get the most adhesion 
for you know my printer at least. I will say I feel like there's a lot of opinions, but in stuff like this, you go with what works. I agree. I'll tell you, tape tape works. You know, if your build plate isn't working all that good, you know, a little bit of tape, painter's tape will make it stick. But yeah, it it only does good for so long, and then you have to go and clean up and you know reapply new tape, and you have to make sure you get all the uh, glue residue and stuff off, or you end up with an uneven bed. I know a lot of people use something called a wolf bite or glue stick in order to do it as well. And uh, it's kind of the same kind of idea of uh, kind of in between tape and hairspray, you know, gives the plastic something to really adhere to. I actually played with a glue stick for about a week. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really like I cleaned it and scraped it, but not super well. And it started to build up real quick. Now, it, <laughs> this was just a, a basic purple Elmer's glue stick, too. I, I know that there are preferences out there for that. Yeah. But it was all, it ended up being something that I just wasn't impressed with. So I put that process down real quick. Yeah. And the yeah. amount of scotch part you'll go through using that stuff, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that noise so, increasing your bed temperatures would help you with it here with um with it sticking down too. If it's not doing it too well, heat up your bed a little bit. And if you got curling issues, if your print is trying to curl and you're battling that and get it to print, you need to recognize that the 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 forces that were making it curl are still there even if you manage to get it to stick down to the bed, you know? So on components like that, you really need to anneal it or it's going to wind up delaminating on you later down the road because those pressures are only going to build up. And that's another great reason for having like a decent uh, dehydrator that you could use it for annealing too at lighter temperatures to relieve those pressures, just throwing it in the dehydrator. Cause I mean, you're not having to dry it, but it will definitely warm the entire component up enough and then shut it down and let it cool down slowly on its own. That way you lose those pressures that will cause it to de. Uh, to delaminate down the road. You mean rather than using your oven? Yeah, yeah. I uh, my oven, the lowest temperature I can set it is one seventy five uh, Fahrenheit, and so that was always not really going to work very well for anyone. Well, you know, I don't. Know. <laughs> no rather kidding. than an oven, maybe just use a heat gun. Well, um, you got to heat soak. You got to soak it in heat, though. You can't just heat up the surface, so. Oh, yeah, you can. You know, it just won't keep the same shape. Try with a toaster yeah. oven with a smaller <laughs> or a lower temperature setting. Yeah, if you can find one big enough. Like, I, I, I like having not so many tools all at once. And if I already got to have a dehydrator to dehydrate a reel, you know, a toaster oven could also do those dehydrating tasks. If you can find a toaster oven big enough that will accommodate a, a reel, you know. And at that point, using that to anneal, it would work just fine. But you can cook dinner when it's not being used to to dehydrate or anneal. You know what? And you're so correct too. And if you get some of those back in the day when people thought it was neat to make the PLA smell good when you cooked it in the printer, if you were cooking with some of that kind of stuff in there, you could use it to flavor your food. It's a win-win. Just, just, just. That is not a win-win. Don't clean it after you uh, cook your pizza pocket in there. Wow. 
it, it's I'm touched that we all still think the same way on that, and we're making fun. Of <laughs> if if I put a piece of plastic in that oven, my wife would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do to my cooking tray? No, she's not worried about the cookie. She she's worried about the oven. She's like, sh I would hear about it for weeks on end. It still smells like plastic. <laughs> and it probably would too. I don't think that, that would oh, be an exaggeration. Not at yeah. all. I'm really out on in left field compared to you guys, though. On the adhesion, I don't use a medium, and I don't use the squish method. All I do is I have my uh, my extruder head at the exact height or as close as I can get. I um, I set it at three or 0.3 millimeters and I use a feeler gauge. So it's pretty close. Um, yeah. I think what, what it is, is my manufacturer failed me when they said, Hey, it should be about three thou, you know, use a piece of paper or something. And yeah. Well, and I tried the paper it's method of balancing and it does. Okay. But I have been so much more happy with just using the feeler gauge at height. Oh yeah. Because even even the, the higher quality paper is going to have some variance in it, and that's going to change where um, where your corners are. If you use right. Well, that's why I went to feeler gauge a second, and it still didn't work. But you know, it is the more logical method to take. Yeah, and and the 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 dimension doesn't change. The more you have the traffic on it, the way paper does, it wears out a little bit too. So, yeah, you're talking to a guy that's got you know several years in metrology. What? <laughs> no. Um, yes, you use feeler gauges, <laughs> and they failed me. Um, <laughs> that, was, that, that was some sort of extra dimensional, mind blowing thing for me. I used my feeler gauges, and the thing still doesn't work. <laughs> hmm. Well, and I use yeah. temperature to control my adhesion rather than um, rather than a medium or the squish method. So, well, the squish method is just for setting it. And once it's set, I use my temperature to control my adhesion from there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we could we could sit and argue about this. I think for a month and still not make. <laughs> well. So there's this other medium I use. It's an Ouija board. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Got to get those demons involved. <laughs> Sometimes you got to get the little demons, you know, to back to making your printer work again, you know? <laughs> Cratchit would be proud. We live in a technological world. It, it doesn't hurt to send a few uh, sacrificed virgin yetis their direction whenever something doesn't quite work right. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing, thinking back, getting bed adhesion was one of the most frustrating things about learning how to 3D print the very beginning. I think it's something that a lot of people will struggle with when they're getting into it. And I, I think just hearing from the way each one of us has handled this problem, that I think that just goes to show that, you know, you need to take a list of options of things that you can try until you find the one that seems to work well with your printer. Because some people yes. like Frank will be able to do it right out of the box as long as you follow the instructions, you know, 
perfectly. I'm glad you have that faith in me, Andy, but it still took me three months to figure it out. So, <laughs> so I got a great story here that actually outlines that wonderfully, Andy. Okay. The guy at my work, he just barely got hired in as a brand new engineer from being an engineering intern. And at one of the local colleges, he was doing a, a little bit of a thing for, and he found out that their 3D printer wasn't being used. They kind of just stuck it aside. It's a $20,000 high-end production 3D printer from this local college, and they couldn't use it because they couldn't get anything to stick to the print net. He, he made a deal with them and picked it up for six grand for our wow. company. And with uh, just a few adjustments, it was working right as rain. Nice. And yeah, so we got this nice, you know, $20,000. It was about two years old, two, two, two to three year old. Gently used. Gently used because they couldn't get anything to stick. And holy moly. And so the difference in this, in the plate bed adhesion, was a good $14,000 difference. Incredible. Oh, yeah. Huge amount. I believe it. And the, those and production printers are factors of quality better than any hobby printer that because simply because they're worth the money that it's going into them. And hobbyists, you know, paying a thousand dollars for a printer is going to be very high end and very posh. And most of the printers that get sold for hobbyists are more in the two to five hundred dollar range. Right. I mean, I thought I was really blowing a lot of money when I, you know, hit three fifty for mine. Well, and production ready printers are worth the money too. So oh, yes. Yeah, they definitely put our little bed slingers to shame. Uh, <laughs> when you when you get the adhesion right anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Kind of feel bad for that school spent all the money on it. Or did they get sponsored by the company? Do you know, Chris? As far as I know, they got it themselves. Oh. They, uh, we just, he wasn't there on company business. He was there on his own thing. So he says to the department guys, he goes, um, the engineering department at the college or whatever, he, he was like, well, you know, I know that my company would probably pay you guys, you know, a good amount of money to take this off your hands if you don't want to use it. And they were like, yeah, okay, I guess. They already had another printer. So. Gotcha. Okay. That, was work, that was working for them. So At least that's there's right. no real loss on the students here. Okay. Except for the students that didn't figure out the adhesion problem. You know, there had been one student that had that epiphany. Oh, man. You can think of how that professor would have liked him. Well, and there was another podcast I was listening to. It's not the stuff that you do that makes you look like a wizard. You know, I designed this or I printed this or whatever. That's not what pays the good money. It's the. I made it so that this printer who is, that has been troublesome for two years now prints. That's why you get the good money. And some, you know, the, the colleges are not necessarily prepared for that level of maintenance. Um, and a lot of that learning just comes from on the job tinkering. Experience, yeah. We call that experience. Tinkering around and figuring out what does and does not work in your field. That's experience. And it doesn't take 10,000 <laughs> hours to get just a little bit of it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Going back to the SLA thing, in the same podcast where they were talking about the uh, 
the film and the history of it. If we're talking about some of the science behind different resins and different, you know, approaches to adhesion. And I realized, Kevin, maybe another reason you like the SLA more than the FDM is because there's so much more science behind it. And you strike me as someone who's very much more science minded. Well, I, I am a scientist, what? so there is that. <laughs> I, I mean, professionally, you're a scientist, yes. And it, I'm sure that that applies a lot to your experience with, I don't know, can you control the brightness of the UV light? No. No? Okay. So that's one dial you don't have to worry about. But obviously the, the line width and time for exposure and all that other fun stuff. Right. And I, I, as much as I am a professional techie, I'm not that analytical about <laughs> physical stuff. Hmm. Just one of those tangents as long as we're... I had a question about SLA. Would you be able to put tape on your adhesion bed or on your print bed there, Kevin? Or is that like, does your print bed need to be translucent? Are you talking about the build plate or the FEP? Oh, the build plate, not the FEP. Yeah, the, the build plate is brushed steel, so it's it's not translucent at all. But you could put so if you were having trouble getting stuff to stick or whatever, you could put tape on it, but it wouldn't be a good idea because it's sitting in resin? Uh, probably, yeah. Okay. Personally, I would expect the resin to degrade the glue <laughs> in the yeah. time it was submerged. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I would expect that's, also. It just doesn't strike me as a good idea to put tape on it. That was one of those what if questions. <laughs> Even if if it didn't have do anything the first time, I, I don't know that I would trust it to really stick on more than that. I've got a question for you, Kevin. Okay. If you gotta print a component that you have to let's say cut in half because it's too big. Uh-huh. Would you wind up using normal glue to glue it together? Or would you use the resin and then um, when you're solidifying UV the rest bake. of the resin, have it together at that point so that it gets solidified into one piece? I've actually had to do that before. And what I used was um, I, in some places I used super glue and in other places I used epoxy resin. Okay, but not That's the nice. resin that it was made out of? No. no. Okay. And see, I love that two-part epoxy resin, too, for putting my models and stuff together. So I went and bought a bunch of super glue, and I'm kind of regretting it because I don't like how it works putting stuff together. Yeah, I used the JB Weld two-part epoxy. It's been awesome. Well, and I... The next thing I think I'm going to try is just the uh, rubber cement. So what don't you like about the super glue? It needs to be super thin and it's really runny. So I end up with globs going all over the place and sticking my fingers together and all that other fun stuff with super glue. Uh, oh, I love glued fingers. <laughs> wow, that's, one of, <laughs> that's one of the funnest parts of my week. <laughs> and it doesn't always seem to hold. Like, I have to try two or three times sometimes. And it's like, why am I insisting on doing this the hard way when the uh, rubber cement 
is a little more can it's not as thin mm-hmm. so you can apply it and then push it together and it cleans up relatively easy on your part too so oh yeah you'll love the two-part epoxy for that if you use a paper towel or something or maybe a wet wipe while you're cleaning up your part while it's while the glue while the epoxy is still wet mm-hmm. cleans up cleans up really nice just got to make sure you use a wet wipe or something like that okay i'll put it on the list because yeah. <laughs> one thing i do with super glue is i will put the glue on one surface and then i'll uh put water on the other and then it hardens immediately as soon as it touches the water oh kind of like when you're using silicone on your bathroom it's the opposite you put the silicone down and then water and then when you run your finger down it to make it look all nice and curved wherever the water's at the silicone won't stick it's the opposite of that yeah awesome that's kind of cool the stuff that i use is uh this acrylic uh bonding cement it's fairly thin stuff but it was supposed to work really good with PLA. And the stuff I've used it for reminds me a lot of super glue, but comes in a really big tube and doesn't seem to dry out on its own. I would imagine that would work really good with vinyl and PVC. Yeah. The other thing that we're talking about glues that I found to be really useful is uh, I got some silicone uh, modified conformal coating whatever that is. Uh, this stuff is expensive though. I think I paid like 25 to $30 for this can, but wow. it's, a, it's like spray silicone. Is there a chemical chemical name on the back of the can there, Andy? What volume is in the can for the listeners? Uh, let's see. This particular can here is 12 ounces. Okay. And it says it contains, oh boy, dimethyl ether. Dimethyl ether. Oh, thank, thank you. you Dimethyl ether, acetone, silene, which is mixed isomers, butane two in one. Oh my God, I can't read half these words. <laughs> Ethyl oh. benzene and toluene. I think you got those right. Toluene? Oh. <laughs> toluene, yeah. Now leave it up to the scientists to have all these names memorized. I can't even read them off the damn can. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to wow. say, let the guy who speaks Latin speak it out. Just hold it up to your camera so that he can read them. But this stuff is really good for waterproofing component, waterproofing uh, FDM components when they're not like a hundred percent waterproof. And you spray a little bit of this on them, and it becomes a hundred percent waterproof. It's amazing stuff. And that makes sense. And let me tell you why acetone is fingernail polish remover and it melts plastic wonderfully well stuff like abs but our pla and petg acetone doesn't touch very hard yeah it doesn't melt that kind of plastic it works great for abs though you could do like abs smoothing and stuff with acetone that's what i've heard right but it's not acetone specifically it's an acetone uh, it is different you're right what's that it's so it's it's a type of acetone, but it's not the acetone that we're used to with fingernail okay. polish. It's not the direct uh, half life result of isopropyl alcohol. That's exactly why it works so well. It slightly melts the plastic a little bit while Possibly. you're using it. Hmm. All I know is you use it outside because yeah. it stinks. 
<laughs> and you have not cleaned your cleaned fingernail polish off your floor floor with acetone before no acetone is part of that so when i first started printing i was printing with abs and did greatly experiment with um acetone smoothing so like using acetone on a on a normal basis inside of the house here you know i've done in the past it's i've just quickly discovered it's it's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, hey, you know what? We're talking about bed adhesion. One of the things I did wind up uh, checking out is um, taking some ABS and melting it down with acetone and then spreading that liquid mixture onto my bed so I have ABS on the bed. That was helping me print ABS without it uh, uh, curling. However, it would wind up, it would you know, the bottom layer would attach, but then it would delaminate on higher layers. And then it was really difficult to get it off the bed with that. But if you are having problems printing ABS, melt a little ABS in, in acetone and use that as a glue to glue it to your bed. It works fairly permanently. No, thanks. <laughs> I'll just... I'll just make an enclosure. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does make a little bit of sense just because all of our uh, thermal plastics stick to themselves when they're hot fairly well. Yeah. Um, one of the methods that was suggested to me for, well, not to me directly, but that I saw for getting the little strings before you start a print, sometimes the nozzle will have that little bit sticking out. Is just take a, a failed print or an, a raft that you've got laying around or whatever and brush the bottom of your nozzle. And because it sticks to itself so well, it'll stick to the part that you run underneath it and have a clean nozzle when you actually hit the bed. Do you guys use a priming wipe before your prints where it will draw a line out in front before it actually starts to print? Mine does do that, yes. I think I take advantage of that time to uh, get under there with my paint scraper while it's coming across, and I scrape the nozzle clean, get all the boogers off of it, make sure that it is spitting out plastic and priming properly. Otherwise, you're getting up there and pushing the filament down into it you know, to, to give it that pressure from when it sat drooling while it was heating up. And then uh, you know, at the very end, since it's running a line, when it stops and does a retraction, it's it's got nothing hanging out of it. It's just ready to go after that initial priming wipe. Actually, I think that Cura calls it a wipe. Really? That, that's the official another technical term. <laughs> the wipe. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think there's even an option to disable it in Cura. I haven't looked for one though. I know there is because I could edit mine. I remember editing it back mm. in the day, so I know I haven't edited it for years now. But I know at least at one point it was an option to to edit the length of the line that you wanted to draw and where you wanted it to draw that line or if you wanted it to draw that line. But I don't know okay. in these past updates if it's been removed or something. Cure doesn't seem to remove anything. So their option list just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. It's a young enough software that they don't really need to deprecate anything yet. Yeah. But as they build it out, you know, say 10 years from now, I bet they're going to start deprecating uh, features that nobody uses. Yeah. I just hope they stick around and keep on making it because that's a, a pretty key package to a lot of the people who are building their own printers. So, I agree. 
Just go purchase one of their printers if you got the money to help support them. <laughs> right? Yeah. A lot of us don't have very much money, <laughs> but we have a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> well, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? We're not, we're enthusiasts. We're not trying to be professional. We're not <laughs> trying to start a business, though I guess collectively we could and we could do contract work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's going to take a bit to get off the ground, I think. But Yeah, uh, well, I feel like the closest we're getting to anything pro is just doing this podcast. <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're at an hour. Does anybody have anything else? Not that I could think of. I, I keep on trying to think of stuff, but I kind of exhausted the topic at hand. I mean, the, the acetone ABS painting that I was doing to the bed, I didn't even think about till right here in the middle of the podcast. So, What if you got some Elmer's spray glue and tried that instead of the ABS melt? Yeah. That might work a little that bit. That could be. Just a th- Maybe. You no, know, they got a lot of spray glues out there, especially ones for like uh, uh, repairing, um, oh, like laminate surfaces and stuff like that, where you'd have a spray glue that you'd spray down. I yeah. wonder how those would work as well. Yeah. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, if you need those kind of things, you probably should look at how your printer's working because something is probably not right that's causing you those problems. But then again, too, I don't think you should be digging into those kinds of problems when you first start printing because you're already going to have so many other issues, you know? If you can use some of these adhesion tricks to get by until you get it going good with that, then later on you can look at, you know, correcting some of the problems. I mean, it's just like Frank's got a great point here. He doesn't have to use anything and he's got a plate glass bed, completely flat, non-textured surface. He doesn't use any chemicals or anything like that. And he's got great adhesion. Yep. I've been doing this for three years and I'm still stuck on hairspray, which I love it because it solves my problem a hundred percent. But which is ironic because you gave me the solution to get me where Frank's at. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that I worry any of the spray, like specifically adhesion spray things, would leave your parts too stuck to the build plate. I agree. Like, um, the, those most of the sprays that I've come across are pretty heavy duty. And you want to be able to get the plastic off your build plate at the end of the print. And that is without using a jackhammer to get it off <laughs> or a, a hand sander or anything like that, right? Very true. Um, an actual spray adhesive, I think, would be too much. I agree, which is why if you want to print with nylon or ABS, just get an enclosure, make an enclosure, something. Otherwise, just stick to the other stuff that Andy absolutely loves, you know, PTG, TPU. I mean, it, it took me three days to get the, my PETG dialed in, and it actually did curl up on one of the prints that I did in the middle there. So I went back to the drawing board and figured out some stuff. All I needed to do was crank up the temperature a little bit, and it kept it warm enough that it didn't try to bend up at all until there was structure well, I, in my uh, my supports. And that that's another thing is you can select what kind of plastic you're using in Cura and it will make some automatically close to what you're wanting uh, 
adjustments for your printer. Well, if there's nothing else. Nothing I can think of. I think we've kind of exhausted the topic here. <laughs> Ad nauseum. <laughs> we definitely determined that the easiest plate adhesion is just to have an SLA printer. <laughs> <laughs> just score it and you're one, good. One of, those things, <laughs> one of those things that works almost completely out of the box. <laughs> right. It, it, at least until you fix the human factor. Right. <laughs> Well, on that note, we would like to thank everyone for listening to the end. If you liked this episode, please give us all the stars. And if you have any feedback or you have content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group at Amateur 3D Pod, or you can reach us by email. Send us your feedback at panelists at amateur3dpod.com, or you can email us directly at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at Amateur3DPod.com. And until next time, we're going offline. <laughs>